Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, or whenever you happen to be listening to this. Welcome to the Film Realist Podcast, the film and TV podcast from a complete nobody. That is hopefully for somebody. I'm your host, Kyle Naranya, going to be completely upfront about this, hoping to get some YA listeners, fans of the Hunger Games books and or quadrilogy of films, where this week I will be reviewing the somewhat anticipated prequel of The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. As for every film review, there will be a non-spoiler section of the review and a spoiler section. Time codes for each of those sections of the episode will be listed in the description. I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get into the review of The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I guess I should preface this before I get into the non-spoiler section of this review, which is that I liked the first Hunger Games. I really dug Catching Fire and then really did not enjoy Mockingjay. And I can kind of connect this to the actual review of The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is that Katniss as a leading character, in my opinion, was quite unlikable and given the fact that she never really had to make tough decisions outside of maybe the conclusion of Mockingjay, we don't really get any agency from her. It just seems like she's being pulled along with that rebellion. And so the setup for this, I thought was quite interesting, giving us an origin story on, I'm not going to use any of their first names because they're silly and I'm likely to get them wrong. And so President Snow getting his origin on before he was president, what led to him being an awful human being. And so I was very curious about this, but at the same time, I was quite disinterested. I saw this yesterday, day of recording, and knew that it was moderately long, not overly long, two and a half hours. And I was nervous that I wasn't going to be compelled by this story, given how I have minimal investment in the Hunger Games Panem universe. And I have to say I'm pleasantly surprised. It became abundantly clear to me, and this is going to be a hot take, I guess. This assumption, something I've me- mentioned before, which is that, or pr- not mentioned before, I had mentioned off of the episode, which is that when David Yates came on to make Harry Potter, those films didn't overall evolve. Now, they're slightly different tones between Order of the Phoenix, the, oh my goodness, the Half-Blood Prince, and then the Deathly Hollows, and then the grim, depressing nature of the Fantastic Beasts never seemed to elevate beyond what we had seen before from David Yates. And Francis Lawrence, who has made, I should check this because I wanted to make sure, Catching Fire and The Mocking Jades leading to this, and Red Sparrow, of course, which also had Jennifer Lawrence, and that I think he learned everything right from those previous film experiences. Mockingjay in particular, he's talked about splitting that story up really hurt both of the films. One has pretty much nothing and then one has very little in it. And so it drags for, I guess, what's close to five hours. And from what I've been able to surmise, there is quite a bit in this book. Didn't even know that the book for this had come out, but This is what you should do when you are making a prequel to a beloved franchise. First of all, it's cast superbly well from top to bottom. Tom Blythe gives a 
fully formed, well-in-depth performance of this character. The arc from the start to the end was super compelling. And for a character that ultimately winds up being your quote-unquote Darth Vader, Emperor, Star Wars reference, and lead villain of the Hunger Games films, you really get a full three-dimensional background behind this character and see why he winds up leading towards what would eventually become the President Snow and getting different versions of characters that we had seen before. Obviously, Stanley Tucci as the TV host in The Hunger Games is probably one of the most charismatic characters, if not the most interesting, just in terms of aesthetic and personality. And who better to cast as a 64-year prior version of that with Jason Schwartzman? I think he gives a different kind of TV host personality, but at the same time gives something just as compelling. Apologies if you could hear my, my chair squeaking, just adjusting my, my posture. But overall, I really enjoyed this. We don't necessarily get a hero. And given the fact that the quote-unquote protagonist of Snow, or Corio as they call him in this really battles with the morality of what his goals are in mind and how his character is challenged and ultimately what changes in his perspective when trying to achieve the goals that he has set out for himself and the other people around him. I think Rachel Ziegler continues to pick really interesting projects. She was phenomenal in West Side Story, and while not given a ton to do in Shazam! Fury of the Gods, I really liked her character of Lucy Gray in this. And yes, she of course does sing. And some of that is teased in the trailers for this, but overall her relationship that she has with Corio is really interesting and certainly complex. And again, significantly more interesting than the quote unquote love triangle that we were given in the pre in the previous for hunger games with PETA, can't even remember his name played by Liam Hemsworth probably should have looked that up who do you play Liam Hemsworth you play what is his name PETA what is his name I'm looking it up in real time Gail sorry again and one of the things I appreciated most going into this and obviously it's it's clear if you're listening to this that I do not have an encyclopedic knowledge of the Hunger Games films I was planning on rewatching them but Quite frankly, I just didn't want to for one film I like a little, one film I like quite a bit, and then two concluding films that I did not enjoy whatsoever. But getting to see the world of Pan Am 64 years prior, how technology has allowed for a certain state of what the Hunger Games are, I really liked. And wow, I think this film at some points does feel slightly overstuffed with a lot of story to tell does suffer slightly, I think, in pacing. The first two hours of this film absolutely flew by, and you're along for the ride and the overall life experience of Snow. And then at a certain point, it just felt like the brakes were pressed, and it kind of drags to the conclusion. Now, I thought the conclusion overall was executed quite well, but the story takes in a, a significant abrupt change in location, and... While I understand what we're supposed to be experiencing on Snow's journey at the time, I do think that part does feel slightly dragged on. Now, it gives us an interesting perspective that Snow, up until that point, has not necessarily experienced where he's located for two-thirds of the film. 
I just felt there could have been a different way to structure that ending. One thing that is really interesting, super minor spoiler if you don't want to hear, is that the film is constructed in three specific parts. And parts one and two, in particular, I do like the, the ch- them working as chapters to the overall story. And it does kind of allow for a simplistic focus as to what parts of Snow's life we are experiencing from parts one and two. And part three being the last probably half hour, I, sh- I shouldn't. I'm not necessarily sure if that is specifically how it lines up, but regardless that the the back half hour particularly for me was the weakest part of the film. Uh, overall as a cast, I think everybody is really great except for Viola Davis. Now she's an actress I've thoroughly enjoyed in significant projects. Go back to my review of The Woman King from who knows how long ago that was, 50 plus episodes ago probably. But that character of Vulaminia Gall who is the head game maker Now, I understand that the capital characters in general are typically more outlandish than the people we experience in the districts. They're more colorful. They are more charismatic. But even to the level of cartoonish villains we get in this film, she's just on a complete other level. And at times, I don't know if it's necessarily supposed to be funny, but I did find it to be quite comedic. And I don't know if that was the case. I've been told that Hunter Schaefer, who plays Tigress, was given more to do in the book, but I'm judging what we've seen from from them in the movie. And I really did like, sorry, I'm checking here, just I want to make sure. So, sorry, what she did in the movie and the relationship that she has with Corio, um, it's, the names are very silly, in general, really does add to, again, what this character's level of morality is leading into the events that we do experience in the film as a whole. Peter Dinklage, who continually just sort sort of pops up in these different franchises, gives a character who does start off in one particular fashion, and it's ironic that he reminded me of somebody like Professor Snape from the Harry Potter franchise, and ultimately does connect similarly to the the arc of Snape's character as a whole. And I can get further into that into spoilers, but overall, I think this is really well made. I had seen quite positive reviews leading into it and had heard good things. And then I'd seen some somewhat mixed, but when this film ends, I was kind of expecting something to be leading into another film. And that's not the click, not the case. This does work significantly well as the origin story of snow. I don't know if, Suzanne Collins is announced she's going to be making any other prequel novels. I don't think that's the case, but if they're on the this level of consistency and really interesting storytelling, I would be up for maybe exploring something else, given the fact that this is, I think, as I said already, 64 years prior, leading into maybe the rise of him as, at, well, that's a spoiler, but getting more of this story leading into closer to the events of the Hunger Games stories. Now, I don't know if there's just if there's as much to explore. Maybe this is the most interesting part of the story. I don't know. I think there are elements you could address in a potential sequel, but I've been told that this does end similarly to the novel. So with that, I can't really talk about anything else without spoiling anything. So that's my general opinions. I think the film's quite good. If you did like the Hunger Games films, I highly recommend you check this out. If you've only read the books, 
I think you could you could probably watch this leading into then watching the other Hunger Games films, but I quite enjoyed it. I recommend it. I'm not given numbers. I don't do that here, but I would recommend seeing it on the big screen. If you don't wind up seeing it on the big screen, I think that's okay, but I would classify this as a don't miss. I thoroughly enjoy the experience and you get some very well ranged characters that you don't typically get on something that's typically aimed at YA. So I would recommend it. I'm going to waste none of this time. I'm going to jump more into spoilers now. All right, we are in spoilers for The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. One thing I thought was really interesting leading into this was what the heck did that mean? And typically the titles for these do connect significantly to the story. My biggest YA experience, I guess, would be with Harry Potter. And typically the titles of those books do have to do with the story as a whole. And this thoroughly does, particularly with who Songbird and Snakes represent, I found really interesting. One thing that I did ask a reader of the book to know is that if Lucy Gray sang in the book and if they had changed that once they cast Rachel Ziegler, one thing I'm hoping for her sake is while she is obviously a phenomenal singer, I hope that does not become a crutch for her to lean on from a as in terms of a professional acting standpoint in the roles she is um, offered, if not auditions for. I should, again, uh, quanti or qualify this in that I think she's phenomenal in this role. We really get somebody who is in it for themselves, and I don't think necessarily that she's unlikable. She is a character who is, I guess I should just dive into this right now because I'm in the middle of rambling about it, is that she is selected from t District 12, and her mentor is to be Snow, and now this was a detail that I'm pretty sure I'm remembering correctly, so don't get mad at me in the on the social medias for this, but that the mentors in the hunger games were previous winners. And it's interesting that we get a lot of this high society from the capital and that we get to see their, their school for the rich people. And something I really liked about Corio's role in this is that his family has nothing and that everything is done to this facade that he is still wealthy, but at the same time, he is out for winning money for the school that he is at. I guess it's not university, so I'm not necessarily sure how old he's supposed to be, but regardless, he is trying to win this prize money so that way he can essentially reignite the fortune of the snows because after the passing of his of his father, they they lost all their money. And so he is a poor person amongst all the wealthy He's clearly the most intellectual or and educated, not even educated, most brilliant amongst his peers and clearly has different relationships with anybody. So automatically from the start, Snow has a goal in mind. It's to restore the Snow's impact and wealth and maybe effervescence. Who knows? And so he has this chip on his shoulder and has this, this sig single goal in mind. And how that changes throughout the film is really interesting. He seems to be very morally on the side of good, particularly when developing his relationship with Lucy Gray, even though it does fit his selfish goal, which is he's her mentor and he wants to win the Hunger Games, if not get voted to win this particular prize, which would ultimately give him the wealth. And the fact that we have Peter Dinklage's character, uh, Casca Highbottom, who is the creator of the Hunger Games, who is 
one of the teachers at the school that he's at and who is out to get him prevent. He does not want him to win this money. So there's this negative relationship that he has with Snow is very Snape and Harry Potter from the beginning, which I found really interesting. Now, I'm not saying she took that idea, but I'm only drawing this from the things, the media that I've been exposed to. And so how that ultimately resolves is quite interesting at the very end. And so as we experience Snow trying to get Lucy an opportunity to win, win the Hunger Games, we start to see how morally he starts to justify cheating in the realm of the actual Hunger Games and he starts giving food to Lucy Gray. He eventually gives her rat poison concealed in a compact mirror, which she does use to some degree in the games, as well as cheating. So that way, ultimately, she's not killed by an item that or a, by weaponized snakes that would kill all of the tributes because there was a bombing at the actual Hunger Games arena. And because of the death of one of the mentors of the capital that Viola Davis's character chooses. She's like, done with this. I'm going to kill them all. And these snakes don't attack you if they've smelt your scent prior to seeing you. And I really like how that came back. Everything does, for the most part, come full circle. And so as we see these Hunger Games, which are very, much more brutal than the ones we experienced in the previous films, and be with everything being substantially more low tech, the... The, there's a visceral nature to the all of the fighting. It's there's the arena itself does not really impact any of the fighting. There are no additional animals. It's just people with minimal weapons trying to kill each other. There is a small allegiance that does form among some of the tributes, but ultimately, Lucy, because of the rat poison and the cheating in preventing the snakes from killing her, ultimately she does win. But because of Peter Dinklage's character being out for Snow, who at this point, given the fact that his mentor or his mentee wins the Hunger Games, it should be this glorious moment leading to him getting riches and moving on. We see that Corius, or not Corius, Corio? What is this? Coriolanus, um, Snow. Snow is ultimately, it's revealed that Peter Dinklage's character knows he lost and this is really the breaking point, I think, for Snow. And given the fact that he did do all this cheating, ultimately you can argue well if, whether it was uh, for for the right reasons because, because of his relationship with Lucy Gray. And the relationship that they develop while he's trying to cheat to help her win is really interesting because the movie doesn't necessarily address this, but it doesn't ultimately tell you if she is... Uh, behaving in an honest fashion or if it is just in survival. And I really like that where we get somebody who is morally ambig ambigu there's ambiguity to the morality that Lucy may be demonstrating in her relationship with Snow. And after Peter Dinklage reveals that he knows that Snow had cheated, he sends him off to essentially be a Hunger Games stormtrooper and he goes there with a friend who's been what is his friend's name? Sejanus, who is played by Josh Andres Rivera, who is also in the most recent remake or the remake of West Side Story. And he's a character who really pushes the boundaries, I think, of what Snow would necessarily do in order to do the right thing. And them having such 
diametrically opposed opinions on what they should be doing in their roles. His Sejanus being somebody who comes from wealth. I really liked how we get to see reflections of what Snow could be if he was not, if he could, was, had the ability to take himself out of this social dilemma in still wanting to do the best possible choices that result in a, a victory for himself personally, whether that's wealth or influence or position amongst the capital, particularly getting back to the capital and him using even his friendship with Sejanus to ultimately lead him to a more successful path and him continuing to develop his relationship with Viola Davis and the downward trajectory of him in terms of morality where he continues to make darker and darker decisions, even leading to him killing some of the the people who live in District 12 just to protect Lucy and them developing this loving relationship. But there's always a sense of unease to it. And ultimately, I wouldn't even say he feels betrayed, but they hide these weapons that he used to kill the citizens of the two citizens of District 12. And it seems to be the fact that he was the reason Sejanus was killed is the breaking point in their relationship. And while I find it interesting because they talk about the significance of trust between the two of them, that I'd be curious to know if if the listeners think that they ever really trusted each other to begin with. And the fact that he's willing to give everything up to be with Lucy and leave Pan Am, but ultimately because of her lack, her broken trust between him, it's ultimately what breaks him and makes him realize, no, I've got to be out for number one. This is what I'm doing. And the con- the dark and the dark choices he's made to consistently do get what he wants starts to reveal a character who's much more similar to the S- President Snow we saw in the previous Hunger Games, culminating in the fact that he eventually learns that his father was actually or his father was partially responsible for the creation of the Hunger Games and that he was a student along with Peter Dinklage's character who came up with the idea but was never going to employ implore it. And the fact that Peter Dinklage's character has been taking these drugs the whole time because he's so devastated and the moral toll, toll that these games have taken on him and that he wanted them to eventually stop being done because of the horrible things it's done with the death of these children and young adults who've just been chosen for punishment of the districts because of the rebellion from the war. And that Snow has been responsible for the revitalization of that and him being the reason behind all of the bad things happening to, to Snow in general. And that Snow ultimately kills him, poisons him with the rat poison we had seen used in the Hunger Games and pre- previously in Snow's apartment really is the complete downfall of this character who does start out quite decent in the beginning and builds to this guy is the horrible manipulative character who eventually will become president. And as mentioned, and you would know this if you've seen them, but it leads to this very awful person who will do whatever they need to, to achieve their goals. Ultimately, that's the villain. And that's what I like about this is you're introduced to a character who starts off quite far on the side of morality and good, but 
when tested to get what they want, continually makes darker and more evil choices because of what they want in mind and their sole mission for themselves. And overall, I really did like this. I think the film is probably at the peak of success during the Hunger Games and just slightly after. And that once he gets deported, there there just is a or not yeah, deported to District 12 with Lucy. There is an uneven pace to the conclusion where we know Lucy is gone, even though it seems that she is shot, but she's in the wind, which I found really interesting. I guess it doesn't come up again when he is in the election to become president further down the line. But regardless, besides that, I, as I said in the non-spoiler section of this review, I really did enjoy this film and I would be much more interested in seeing the rise of him of, of pre-president snow amongst the socialites of the Capitol. What does somebody working under Viola Davis what does that relationship lead to? How does he backstab her if he does at all, eventually leading to become president? With him, it ending when he's maybe 30 in terms of the time jump, there's a lot of time before we even get to the Hunger Games. So there may be a sequel to this. There may not, may not be. I think it says something to the... It's a testament to the film's quality and execution that I would be interested in a sequel to this where... Prior to seeing it, if you had asked me if I wanted to see more Hunger Games, I probably would have said no. And I would see whatever the heck this or this is called. I guess I didn't mention this, but Lucy being the songbird and President Snow pretty much being the snake. That would be my guess. But at the same time, there is an interesting dichotomy to that where eventually he is bit by a snake because Lucy does sing to calm snakes. And we see her use one as a weapon amongst another member of her district earlier. So that's what I got from this. I really enjoyed it. Let me know on Twitter if you did enjoy it as well. You can tweet at me or you can tweet at the podcast. That will do it for this spoiler section of the review. You can listen next to the outro and find out what's coming in the next couple weeks. All right, so if you are not following the podcast on Twitter, this week's going to be significantly different than most. I did not have a chance to see Trolls, but Melody really did want to see it. So I will be seeing that with her this week. And there will be a review where Melody and I talk about Trolls 3, which is Band Together. What is it called? I forgot. Yeah, Band Together. There will be a review of that. I'm aiming to have that up by Wednesday. And then on Wednesday night, I will be seeing Napoleon. And I hope to have that review up by Friday the following week. I'm likely going to do a review of Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, and I'm going to try to find time to cover Wish, the latest animated musical by Walt Disney Pictures. So that's the hope. If things do change, just follow the Twitter or the threads or the Hive or the Facebook for any updates where for episode if anything is to change. But that is currently the plan. Again, if you listen on Spotify, there are questions embedded in the episodes. And if you listen to the, the if you listen to those episodes and you comment on them, you get a shout out right here. So the question on the Invincible premiere and Gen V review was, will Invincible fight another version of himself in season two? Scotty Cameron says, probably not. The Invincible War seems like season four material. Now, I don't know if Scotty Cameron has read 
the Invincible comics. As I stated in that episode, I have not. So I have no idea what's coming up next. And I look forward to seeing that. I have been quite enjoying season two so far. And then on the Loki season two and the Marvels review, again, Scotty Cameron, thanks so much. I appreciate it. What a MCU title, upcoming MCU title, are you most looking forward to? Scotty Cameron said, film-wise, Captain America and the New World Order or Blade shows Daredevil Born Again hands down. Now, I guess I probably should answer these. I would like to see Invincible fight Invincible in season two. That would be something, while not necessarily expected, it would be quite impressive given what we saw from the finale of season one with Invincible fighting Omni-Man, and that was super vicious. In terms of films, I probably should have looked this up ahead of time. We have all kind. I think it's probably at this point Deadpool 3, just given what that's going to be like with the Fox universe. And then Daredevil seems like an absolute lob of a success if done properly. But given the, the unfortunate production history of that show so far, I hope that it does reach the quality of the Netflix shows. In my opinion, none of the Disney plus Marvel shows have done that yet. So fingers crossed that they do do that. That will do it for this episode of the Film Realist Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please like and share with your film friends. Give the review, the podcast a review on your podcasting platform. That is it. I hope to see you next week, and I hope you enjoy 